2: star talk your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide star talk begins right now this is star talk I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. My day job, I'm the director of the Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History right here in New York City. This is the Cosmic Queries edition, which I do not do alone. <laughs> I need help. <laughs> I've got Chuck Nice. Hey, Neil. Chuck Nice comic right here with me in but studio. That's right. Calling from the internet. Questions. This is not a themed Cosmic queries. This right? is our potpourri. Potpourri. I don't even know how to spell that. A, potpourri. A veritable grab bag. Grab bag. A smelly grab. Potpourri is smells, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. Okay. So this is whatever was left over in the bag after <laughs> we pulled out the questions. A smelly grab bag <laughs> that could of be, Star Talk Radio. It could be themed. Well, let's get right into it. <laughs> yeah, Now, man. I haven't seen these questions. So That's right. If I don't know something, I'm going to tell you.
1: There you go. Okay. And, and guess what? That's one of the best things is that you're kind of. Shooting from the hip on this one. Yeah, but, totally. But you never really shoot from the hip, you know? Because that, that you, you know what you're talking about. All right. So here we go. This is from um, Harry Dasori. Mm-hmm. All right? Subject matter? Dark
2: matter. Dark matter, sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, get ready for this one. By the one, way, yeah. there was a chapter of my of my memoir right. called Dark Matters. Yes. There's yeah. a chapter of my life called Dark Matters. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> saying. We each have some dark well, matter. We
1: Everybody's got some dark <laughs> matters going on. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Let me finish before you freak out, I'll, okay? I'll, I'll go. I've witnessed ghosts and several experiences that have made me a believer in the supernatural or what some would call spiritual existence. Who,
2: Whose question is this,
1: this? is from Harry Dasori. Harry Dasori, okay. okay? Mm-hmm. My question to you, Neil, is can the expansion of dark matter in the universe be the accumulation of souls of all the planets in the cosmos? Some speculate that soul has weight or a value
2: of weight impossible to prove. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, so where shall we begin? Yes, so I don't know. He wants to connect his personal experiences with ghosts yes. with the dark matter in the universe. Right, so what he's saying is these
1: apparitions that he has experienced, mm-hmm. clearly they must have some type of mass or weight. Could dark matter actually be the accumulation of all such
2: apparitions as the ones that he's experienced? All the souls. Okay. All the souls. So a couple of things. Let, let's tackle souls for the moment. Okay. All right. uh, back when X-rays were invented, were discovered mm-hmm. by wilhelm Röntgen, mm-hmm. who's a german physicist he in fact he won the first nobel prize in physics in 1900 for his discovery of x-rays uh people, soulful people of the day said if x-rays can see through matter and through the human body maybe if we x-rayed a body that was dying we'd be able to see the soul leave the body what? I know? There you go. And so they attempted these experiments, and nothing. They didn't see nothing. <laughs> right. Thank God the person was already dying. <laughs> Exposing them to all those X rays like that. And in a rare moment, we're thanking God for someone dying. Right. Okay. <laughs> all, right. all right. So, so first there was that. All right. Second, the instant you die, which is has a fuzzy. We don't really. <laughs> I tweeted recently uh, the next person who who is sh- brought back to life after being pronounced clinically dead mm-hmm. it seems like we need to start redefining what dead is <laughs> if, if you keep coming back because <laughs> you were clinically dead right. maybe clinically dead really isn't dead and, right true right so uh, the point is, there was some movie called Twenty Three Whatever. Remember this movie? Yes, I know what you're talking about. Twenty Three Ounces, Ounce, or oh, some oh, crazy yeah, stuff. Twenty Three like Grams, Twenty One Grams, Twenty One Grams. Right. right. It's just BS. If you if if you're alive and then you're dead and you're on a scale, your weight doesn't change. Right, gotcha. Be- unless you evacuate your bowels and it spills off the scale onto the floor. Right. Okay. Plus, most people don't know how much twenty-one grams actually is. Do you know how much I- it's like the weight of a, a nickel? Or- I mean, it's not very much. No, it's it- not a lot at all. It's not a lot at all. Right. So you- I know
1: because of my past use of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Because drug dealers were metric long before any American got involved. How (laughs) many grams?
1: (laughs) Whenever I meet somebody who knows the metric system, I'm like, you've done a lot of drugs, haven't you? Oh, he
2: sold them. (laughs) So uh, the point is, when you die, you have way more than that of just leftover uh, uh, leftover urine and, right. and bowel contents. So, uh, and your your sphincters relax and it all comes out of you, right? But oh. if you're not careful about how you make those measurements, you can be led to think that you weigh less at death than right. you did it uh, alive. But so anyhow, so uh, if it's soul, in terms of the mass of the soul, if you want to believe there is one, there's no evidence that it has mass. Right, right. For, that's number second, one. Second, we know approximately how many people there have been ever born. It's about 100 billion, plus or minus. Okay. So- A hundred billion times any number is really, no matter what number you're multiplying it by, it's going to be small compared with the mass equivalent of the dark matter of the universe. Now, he's saying the souls of all the planets. So he's going to have to believe that there's life on other planets that has souls. Correct. And so it's the sum of all the souls. And I'm just, there's no evidence for that. Now, one of the things science does that nothing before science did Mm -hmm. was establish something that is objectively true. So if I say, I saw it. It's real. Well, was it in your head or was it actually real? Right. What are the qualifiers of seeing? Exactly. Science allows us to distinguish something that's happening in your head from something that is objectively true that everybody can agree with as well as apparatus that we have built to make the measurement. Correct. So- what he needs to do is find the ghosts, <laughs> grab them, you know, put them in a net or something, bring them to the lab, or, or get more than himself as witness to these ghosts. Correct. Then we can start making measurements. Until then, we kind of have to sort of uh, I'm going I'm left saying that it's all going on in his head and therefore we don't have to explain cosmic forces that affect the the birth of the universe based on what he sees out of his own head. Right. So basically uh in the corporeal world <laughs> Harry, you are out of your mind. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> No, in other words, that's just to be fair to his question, he may have surely been seeing ghosts. Right. That doesn't mean the ghosts are objectively real. That's all I'm saying. Right, exactly. And the human mind is a complex place. We still don't understand. We still don't understand. A whole new field called neuroscience is being born as we speak. To determine to, to, why we see these to things. To try to handle these right. things. Right, right. So I'm, I'm not saying he's not telling the truth about what he believes he saw. Exactly. But whether it's an objectively true thing is a whole other thing. It could be true. It could just be
1: his truth based upon his drinking... Of mushroom tea,
2: (laughs) (laughs) the LSD is what made it true. Or if he hasn't, and he does, that would take it a whole other notch. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) You're listening to the Cosmic Queries edition (laughs) of Star Talk Radio. I'm here with Chuck Nice Comic, tweeting at Chuck Nice Comic. That's correct, sir. You got it. Uh, Star Talk Radio. We tweet as well at Star Talk Radio, and find us on the web, uh, StarTalkRadio.net. We'll be back in a moment. Back. Star Talk Radio, Cosmic Queries Edition. Chuck, you just reached to the bottom of the barrel and you just got whatever was left over. So, are <laughs> so we calling this the potpourri? The potpourri. potpourri. All right, let's potpourri. Or, as you put it so eloquently, the smell it grab bag.
1: Well, co- of po- Star Talk po- Radio. When I think of potpourri, <laughs> is
2: stuff that smells nice and you put it in the bathroom where stuff otherwise doesn't smell nice. That's true. That's right. true. You don't put potpourri in a rose garden. <laughs> so right? true. Right. So, uh, okay. now you sound like a philosopher. <laughs> Not, not an astrophysicist. That is, you'd never put potpourri.
1: No in a one rose. puts potpourri in a rose garden. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then I hear like Chinese chimes. You know what I mean? Just like ah, snatch the pepper from my hand, grasshopper.
2: <laughs> but right. yo, that's awesome. Go. All right, here we go. Um, Adita. Adida Patil. Is, uh I have to say you're the worst pronouncer of names I've ever had opposite I, me in a table. I am I'm just awful. saying. I am um, listen Neil, I am not When to- somebody has to call
1: your stuff <laughs> out. Said, listen, I'm glad you're doing <laughs> it cuz I am awful. Okay. I got to admit. I'm terrible Fine. at this, all, all right. right? But uh I uh Adita. Okay, whatever. Uh Adita Patil says, by the way, she wants you to know that she is 16 years old mm-hmm. and she also wants you to know that she is from India. So we are worldwide, buddy. We are worldwide. There you go. Okay. Where does all the energy go when it's all over Is her subject matter? You've said, Mr. Tyson, uh, Dr. Tyson, in many episodes that the universe is going from chaos to order and would finally reach a state of zero Kelvin. My question is, where does all the energy go? All the
2: kinetic energy that is present now... What happens to it? Okay, I, I don't think I've ever said we're going from chaos to order. I don't, I don't, I don't think believe I've you've ever said I've, that I've, either. I, think, I think you've always said that the universe is in a state of uh, extreme disorder. Disorder and becoming more disorder. But she knows that where are temperatures dropping in the universe to an approaching, at, at, there's a mathematical term for it, asymptotically approaching absolute zero. When you asymptote to something, it means you get ever closer to it, but- will never actually reach Reach it it. until you reach infinity. Kind of like fractals. Uh, Oh, yeah. There's always detail all the way down through, and it's never going to stop. It's never going to stop. Right, right. So- uh, so it's not exactly like fractals but the idea that you're hitting some infinity point right and then it stops yeah that's the only thing I could relate it to in my tiny little mind <laughs> all right so so you say where is the energy the energy is still there it's just more and more and more diluted until it's so diluted that it, it's a it's effectively zero energy density in the universe okay gotcha. so we talk about energy density it, nor, normally we use the word density we think of matter density so so lead is more dense than paper right and right. so it's it, it makes good Paperweights, although we don't use lead anymore, and nor do we even have paperweights. You know why we don't have paperweights? No, because we don't have fans inside of offices because we have central air conditioning. Yes,
1: which is exactly why the uh, register above my desk keeps blowing the papers <laughs> off my desk. Sorry, <laughs> does
2: it seriously? Work? Yeah, yeah, All right. yeah. Well, whatever it is, it's less than what a fan would have done back right. in the day. Uh, so, so here we have the universe expands, temperature drops, asymptotically approaches absolute zero. Okay. It's the density, density of the energy that continues to drop. So the energy doesn't go anywhere. It's the t- total energy total energy is the same, the same. it's just diluted to the place where it,
1: it is effectively zero it energy is, it is
2: so dilute just go home Right. Okay. <laughs> so that's what's going on there. Yeah, that makes. And by the way, sense. the opposite would be true. In a, in a, in a collapsing universe, the mm-hmm. energy density would be going up, uh, okay. and the universe would be getting hotter and hotter and hotter over time. Okay. Yeah, that'd be a bad, uh, a a, bad thing though, yeah, right? Yeah. I'd, per- I'd rather end in ice than in fire. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, there you go. There you go. That's a great, great, great answer. Good question. Mm-hmm. All right. This is from Mark Fenimore, calls himself the chemistry nerd. nerd. Ooh. Okay. Here it is. Dr. Tyson, in a freshly brewed cup of coffee, if, I'm sorry, if a freshly brewed cup of coffee was placed into a pressurized, help me out here, adiabatic, adiabatic, adiabatic container and exposed to the vacuum of space while being shielded from the sun or starlight, how long would it take for said coffee to freeze? What is the mechanism for energy transfer in this case,
2: well, if it's not if it's not exposed to the outdoors, right? Uh, well, what you'd have to do is expand the volume. It's in a cavity, and if you expand that cavity, the energy has to now dilute, and there'll be a point where it dilutes so low that you then you freeze what's there. So, so that adiabatic is a is a physics term, a chemistry physics term that refers to whether you keep pressure constant and change the temperature or keep the temperature constant and change the pressure okay. when you're doing these experiments gotcha. and so uh, by the way, if you just had a canister there and if it was completely insulated, the temperature would never change. Right. But it's you cannot completely insulate something because there's always a molecule of something attached, connect, communicating with the one adjacent to it and either with, with light energy or with vibrational energy, so it's going to cool down no matter what.
1: Okay, so right. the, the fact is that even if it were completely Completely insulated. The fact is you can never completely insulate
2: something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you're trying to tell me, Dr. Tyson?
2: (laughs) So yes, that as well as if you want to sort of expand the volume because there'll be pressure in there because it's a warm cup of coffee. If you try to expand the volume, what will ultimately happen is the energy density will drop. And then at some point it will actually freeze. Yeah, if you keep doing that, yeah, yeah, you can drop it so low. But uh, maybe you'd have to evaporate all of the coffee before that Happen, and then it's gaseous, and then the concept of freezing no longer matters. So, so the as, as material changes state, it's a fascinating thing, actually. Yeah, that we don't spend enough time on in school. I think that just think about it. Here's this water, and then you drop the temperature, and then it becomes solid. Right, a liquid becomes. Imagine if you had never seen ice. Just I mean, there were people who grew up in the tropics and exactly. never, saw, never ice saw ice in their life. That's right. And then you just take water, put it in some vest, some cavity, and you pull it out, and it's solid. They're not even going to believe you. He has magic. <laughs> <gasps> if physicists never told people how we do stuff... We would just be the people. We would we would we would be the gods of our culture. True, because we would have powers that they that uh, they think would divine. Uh,
1: exact. You know what? It's so funny. As a quick aside, there is a great show for kids, and it's really trippy. But it's called Adventure Time, mm-hmm. and there's a character. She's a scientist, and she is constantly railing against the people of the kingdom because they believe in magic. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's awesome. That's great. All right, All right there so you what go. Else you got? Mm-hmm. Let's move on to uh, Jeremy Z- Zuccaro. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got that one right. Jeremy Zuccaro. You can at least try to
2: put a little Jeremy Zucchero. Uh, Zucchero. Yeah, there. Yeah, Zuccaro. Okay, there we go. The most interesting man in the world. Jeremy <laughs> <laughs> Zucchero. <laughs> Jeremy go. go. Okay. Could intelligent life have
1: evolved on Earth in the distant past? There seems to be little evidence to support this idea, but would there be? But would there be? What are the odds that this would be missed in fossil evidence, and is there
2: physical reason why this could not have happened? I think about this all the time. Do you really? Yes. Okay. Cool. I'm I lay awake at night. I lay awake at night thinking about this question. Okay. Cool. Because I, what I do is I ask if if civilization ended today, mm-hmm. how long would it take given the. Earthquakes and volcanoes and other other geologic forces on Earth. How long would it take for every trace of our civilization to be to just com- gone? Completely gone, being sucked into the magma of a volcano and coming out as a fresh rock. Right. All right. So Jump starting the, the geologic record. And uh, I've spoken with some geologists about this. It, w- it would be billions of years. It's not. Oh, okay. yeah. It's it's a while because you have to get every bit. We're everywhere on Earth, not basically. Right. You have to get every bit of landmass deep enough down so that it's completely, completely wiped out, right? And 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 melted down and reshaped into the next. Because round the of Earth work. is literally remaking itself. It is over time, right? Yes, it is, and it has to be sort of uniform enough so that there's no trace. So I said, could there have been an intelligent civilization in the past? And I think not. Uh, for, for not, I think not. First, because it would take a long time to completely wipe them off the map. Second, uh, complex life is a is an evolutionary trajectory. Gotcha. You would not have had single-celled life forms three billion years ago popping into a multicellular intelligent life form right. overnight, right. making a civilization and then disappearing again. Mm-hmm. You you have to track it through the growth of complexity in the evolutionary chain. And when you do that, you only get sort of big-brained if intelligence derives from big brain, you only start getting big-brained mammals. After the dinosaurs are taken out of the picture. Gotcha. And that was 65 million years ago. Right. Our mammal ancestors scurrying underfoot trying to not be hors d'oeuvres for T-Rex. Only when T-Rex got taken away did our mammal brain start getting big and become anything that we call intelligence today. Gotcha. So now,
1: when you look at that trajectory, uh, is what you're saying that the Earth has not been here long enough for that trajectory to have taken place in the past and then been wiped away record-wise- so, that we are finding ourselves in that place again today. It's
2: a combination of not only that, uh-huh. you would not expect complex neurological organ- organisms, mm-hmm. or organisms with complex neurology, to have been around long enough ago, given the time it would have taken to create such a creature. Gotcha. As the evidence of the fossil record shows. Fantastic. So, there you have it. There you go, man. That's a great answer. <laughs> when we come back, more of Cosmic Quarry's Potpourri Edition, you're listening to Star Talk.
1: PXG.com slash StarTalk, code StarTalk.
2: We're back on StarTalk Cosmic Queries Edition. (laughs) <laughs> why? You're the one who dug, dug all these questions out of the bottom of the barrel because they uh. didn't fit any other category. <laughs> uh, I, I, there's a question about whether there's past life on Earth. I want to add something to that. Go ahead. Uh, there's a lot of sto- science fiction storytelling that has sort of aliens helping out our civilization. Yes. You know, like Stargate for example. Stargate. You know, the pyramids came from mm-hmm. some... Well, aliens who came down helped us build it and then left And
1: <laughs> for some strange reason. <laughs> just like, hey, uh, we need to go build some pyramids on Earth. On no, no uh, Earth. In, in that, that spot. In, in that spot and then we're out of here. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> That's their whole purpose of coming here. <laughs> these humans look like they need pyramids. Yeah, and they're not mechanical
2: or anything. They're no, just not stone. At all. just
1: stone buildings that we are going to because we're that technologically advanced. Let's give these people some stone triples triangles to drop in the middle of a desert, and then we're out of here.
2: OK. <laughs> yeah, so that that I couldn't, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, so th- the urge to think that ancient peoples could not have actually done these great uh, uh, structures. I mean, the fact is, they have the same brain that we do. We do. Right. 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 And so they have less technology, but they're not any less smart. Right. In fact, some could argue that they're smarter. Absolutely. So I'm always upset when we want to credit some intelligent aliens for stuff that our own species did here on Earth. I Exactly. Give us some credit, man. It's funny because, you know,
1: my son, who's seven years old, mm-hmm. and he said, well, how come, you know, if they didn't have anything technical back in the day, they could actually create these great buildings and things, mm-hmm. but yet we don't seem to be as smart as they are. And I went, because they didn't have Cable television, son. Exactly. That's why. <laughs> and they had 100 years
2: to build it. <laughs> right, right.
1: Exactly.
2: It's <laughs> none of this. Oh, look, we got we to get this done by October. Right. No. Exactly. No. Pyramids is like, take a, whatever, how long it takes. Right. You're Lifetimes. Making it. And nobody cares. <laughs> right. right. We got number
1: time. Oh, that's All right. great. All
2: right. What All what right? Here we go.
1: Um, this is from our very own, uh, somebody here in New York City, and uh, Andrew Wood. Mm-hmm. Andrew Wood. And you pronounced his name correctly. Yes, I did. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew, for having a very easily, easily, to pronounce name all right right. we have several impact craters on earth from meteorites my question is this we have we have the big holes but where did the big freaking rock disappear to i will not be able to sleep until i know Oh, I like people
2: who can't sleep because science <laughs> keeps them awake. Right. That is good. So a couple of things. Probably the most famous hole in the ground is – is a uh, meteor hole in the ground is in Arizona. Right. Near Winslow, Arizona. In fact, I was just there filming for Cosmos. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, cool. Okay, You can't not – Go to the well. You have crater. To, right. It's almost a mile across. And you now, can now is this the crater that they say may have wiped out everything? Is this the? No, 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 no. no. This one this the- was a bad day in Arizona when this thing hit. Okay, or whatever it was called back then, fifty thousand years ago. <laughs> <laughs> there's the- then there's another crater that was found submerged under the Gulf, uh, found primarily by the efforts of oil drillers trying to find out if gravity anomalies, because if it's oil or is it sand, is it sediment, and they found this ridge, and this ridge is the rim of a crater, and that's the one we trace okay. to the dead dinosaurs. Gotcha. And that hit near, near Yucatan Peninsula, near what is now Mexico, and I once gave a talk and I said... <laughs> Uh, but I, I said, near what is now Mexico. I said, but that's not what the dinosaurs called it. And someone that. in the front row said, yeah, they called it Mexico. <laughs> that's actually funny. It's Spanish fluent dinosaurs. So yes, we do have these craters. And the Chesapeake Bay area, we now know from space, is a meteor impact. So a meteor impact created Chesapeake Bay. Look at that. Yeah, right there in Maryland. All right. So, all right, so there you have it. So what happened to the rock? Well, what happened to the rock? That if the... Speed of the asteroid, which is true in every case, is higher, so you have a speed and you can calculate how much energy it has for motion. We call it kinetic energy, mm-hmm. kinetic is motion. So write down that number, mm-hmm. okay, you can calculate that. Right. Now you say, what's this thing made of? Is it rock, is it metal? What's holding it together? Is are there bonds? they are chemical bonds from one atom to another. Mm-hmm. There's a it's crystal lattice. There's some forces holding the thing together. Right. Right. Add that up. Write down that number. If the kinetic energy number is bigger than the number that's holding it together, <laughs> poof, and the thing hits. Where did all the kinetic energy go? Back into the object, and it explodes, poof. vaporizes, goes to smithereens. And so, in fact, most of it essentially vaporizes. Gotcha. And that's called a high-speed collision, and the, that's what happens. That's why you have fragments scattered, but the most, the bulk mass of the asteroid is gone. Mm-hmm. Now, if the thing came in slowly, it would just hit and bounce, and then you could get the whole. And then the rock would be sitting around. In fact, meteor crater was purchased by a by a by a a metal speculator because he presumed that the huge. Object that made the crater is still buried beneath. Yeah, so he had metal. He bought the land, brought out his metal detectors, drilled (laughs) boreholes, didn't find a damn thing. Oh, yeah, poor guy, because he didn't have your your formula.
1: All he needed was your formula. It would have saved him a lot of money. Now this
2: dude is just like every dude you see with black socks and sandals on the beach with his little, with his little his metal, metal detector. detector. So it's the, it's, it's the Baringer family, and they actually still own the land. And so now it's a tourist attraction, and they're making money off a of tourist. Okay, well, at least he got his money back somehow. <laughs> Some Somehow. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so that's what happens in a, in a high-speed impact. And if it's, it, if those two numbers were different, the object would basically stay in one piece. Right.
1: So there's your answer, uh, Mr. Wood. Uh, look for the rock in the land of smithereen.
2: <laughs> exactly. You're listening to Stark Talk Radio, Cosmic Queries Potpourri Edition. We'll be right back. Back. Star Talk Cosmic Queries Potpourri Edition. Chuck Nice. Hey, you're reading me these questions. I haven't seen or heard any of them. That's right. That's right. You yeah, have not okay. seen them
1: or heard them, but I have
2: them right here. Go for it. Okay, let's go
1: to uh, John um, Reitzka. Right, Scott. Okay, you know it's John. I hope. I'm sorry, John. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. uh Subject of the tides, and this is kind of something
2: that we've touched on. Well oh, me and tides go way. Yeah, back. Oh, oh, me. Just you and tides. You are the veritable prince of tides.
1: <laughs> see what <laughs> I did there? Did you see what I did there? <laughs>
2: okay. I thought it was the king of tides, but okay, <laughs> fine.
1: Okay. Uh, I've heard Neil mention in multiple episodes that the gravitational forces of both the moon and the sun combine during a full moon to create the highest tides on Earth. It seems to me that they should cancel each other out, being that the masses are on opposite sides of the Earth. It also seems that the highest tides should be during the new moon because the moon and the sun are both on the same side of the Earth. Mm. I could look up the answer but I just love hearing Chuck Nice's take on the questions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> did he really say he that? He did really oh say that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I... <laughs> okay. All
1: right. So, listen. Uh, okay. Basically, what he's saying is uh, uh, uh,
2: uh, uh, when the okay, moon so and the, the sun
1: are on the same side, is there a greater pull? Right,
2: so, so, here we go. You ready? Go ahead, you please. All right. So, let's forget the sun for the moment. All right. All right. Well, let's just have earth and the moon. The moon raises tides on earth. And there are only two things that affect that, the mass of the moon, which isn't changing, and the distance the moon is from Earth. Those are the only two things that can affect the tides that the moon raises on Earth. Okay. Now, the moon's orbit is not an exact circle. It's like a flattened circle, an ellipse, an ellipse. is the official term. You can think of it as an oval. And so occasionally the moon is closer to the Earth. It'll have raised slightly higher tides. Occasionally the moon is farther, raises slightly lower tides. And that has nothing to do with what phase the moon is. The moon's tides on Earth are the same... For every phase from new moon crescent, first quarter gibbous, everybody. Because is, the moon is the same size. The moon is the same, <laughs> same damn thing in the damn sky. Right. Okay. Right. All right. So now. Now bring in the sun. Okay, the sun is trying to raise tides too, and it's a function of how far are we from the sun and how much mass the sun is. It's trying to do this on us too, but it turns out its strength of tides is only about a third as strong as that of the moon. it okay. Turns out, because it's so far away, so far away, and distance makes a big deal with. It makes a big difference with tides gotcha. because the tidal strength varies as the cube of the distance. Gotcha. If you're, if you're math fluent, you got that. I know okay? what
1: you're saying. All right. So you're, it, it is directly and proportionally tied to the distance.
2: Yes. Okay. T- to the third power the third of the Third power. All right. right. So if you're far away, it's way less than if you're nearby. Gotcha. So now watch. If the moon's tides align with the sun's tides, you have high tide. Higher than at any other time. Gotcha. If the moon's tide is at right angles to the sun's tides, they're each trying to bulge at right angles to one another. They, they that's where they cancel out. Gotcha. Okay. That at right angles, and I think they call it the neap tide. All right, you'll still get a, a slightly high tide, but it's not as high as at full moon or at new moon. And here's how the tide works, you ready? Okay, so you have the moon and you have Earth. Mm -hmm. The moon is pulling harder on the side of the Earth closer to the moon than it is at the middle of the Earth. And it is pulling harder at the middle of the Earth than it is pulling at the far side of the Earth. Right.
1: Okay. Because it's farther it's away. farther away. Because okay. it's,
2: like we said, there's, 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 it's distance. It's a distance. It's a distance thing. Thank you. And so now you are a squishy pool of water. The side of you closest to the moon is being pulled most. Mm-hmm. And the side of you farthest from the moon is being pulled least. So all this gets stretched out. That's all it is. It's That's a big it. stretching game. Gotcha. And by the way, the solid earth has tides as well. But you know, it we don't that doesn't manifest as because it's it's a solid thing that's changing. We but we see and tides, are never come in and out. The bulge is always there in space, and it's Earth turning inside the bulge. So in fact, when you sounds so dirty. (laughs) <laughs> so, oh my God! So when you, so if you're on the beach, you say, "Here comes the tide." No, the tide was there in space, and you are on Earth being turned, turned into, tw- into it, into it, into the bulge of the tide. Wow. I know, I know, I know. So now watch. So now, so the 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 moon stretches out the water near side, far side. Right. The sun stretches out the water near, near side, side, far, far side. side. So on new moon or full moon, everybody's lined up. Everybody's stretching it out. There you have it. It's all, just, it's all just all just it's
1: basically a love triangle between the sun, the
2: moon, and the water. However, when the triangle is at its finest. Mm-hmm. It makes a straight line. Ah. Yeah, that's where you, you they, want your highest triangle. That's the highest. <laughs> tri- I mean, the highest bolt is the straight line triangle. That's right. Yo, that's hot. You <laughs> you got it. <laughs> You're still listening to Star Talk Radio Cosmic Queries. I'm here with Chuck Nice. We'll be right back.
1: or the personality there's one site for all the kids in your home pre-k to 12th grade kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. And no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S., Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive twenty percent off IXL membership when they sign up today at ixl.com/starttalk. Visit ixl.com/starttalk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Life
0: is a highway.
2: edition but we're in the final segment which means what
1: lightning round lightning
2: round because i take so long answering the questions Uh that we got to pile them all the ones i didn't get to in the last segment and i'll blow through them soundbite style okay all right are you ready let's do it And that's the sound you'll hear at the
1: end of the question, Uh, end of the answer, answer, end of the answer. Go. Amputees in space from Jeff Lowe wants to know, hey, just curious to hear your thoughts about whether amputees in space would do well since there's less muscles to atrophy. I'm also curious to hear if there would be effects from zero G on organs. You know, after all, the heart is a muscle, but it's constantly working
2: even in space. Yeah, so amputees in space, they're, they're, you're not walking anywhere. So in fact, the space walk, you're not walking. It's, it's called space floating. It's space right? floating. So in a, in a way, you don't really need your legs. So mm-hmm. amputees, I think, would do very well. Space walking. Uh, your organs are sort of suspended in your body. They're not loose to float around and get out of alignment if you go into zero G. Plus, when you lay down horizontally, your heart does not work against gravity. Hmm. It pumps blood horizontally. And that's like it not working against Gravity. So your heart would be just fine in space. Okay, but it was it was not obvious in the early days. We didn't know whether you could swallow in space. Uh-huh. Does your saliva know to go down your throat? Turns out your body has, does a good job pushing liquids wherever they gotta go. Next, <laughs> <laughs> go. Here's one.
1: How about Adam Caspi? Your biggest fan in Israel. That's what he said. Okay. Okay. From my limited understanding, nothing can travel above the speed of light. Why does light travel at exactly that speed? I understand that it can that it can't travel faster, but why not slower?
2: Even a small amount, like two meters per second. Light does travel slower when it goes through anything other than a vacuum. Ooh! Ooh. Oh snap! Yo, so, Adam! <laughs> light goes slower when it enters our atmosphere, which is why when you see sunrise, it's not actually risen yet. It is still below the horizon because when it changes medium, this light slows down and it refracts showing you the sun before it has actually risen. Light is at its slowest through diamond. It only goes 40% as fast as its speed in a vacuum through diamond. That's why there's all this internal reflection in your ring, and it looks radiant because the light internally reflected multiple times before it came out, looking like the diamond itself is giving you light. Oh, thank you. you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. Yo, that was was hot. That was hot? Yeah. All right, here we go. Uh, This one from Luke Schlanigan.
2: Luke. Yes,
1: go. Luke. Aliens. On your aliens episode, you said aliens the size of a solar system couldn't exist because it would take too long for a signal to travel from one point of the brain to another and for the alien to react. But what if it did not have a centralized brain? What if the decision-making capabilities were spread throughout? In other
2: words, a couple little brains around that alien head. No, I, okay, I didn't say life could not exist. I just thought it would be really clumsy form of life. Gotcha. If it stubs its toe, its toe, it would take 10 hours to respond to that fact, or if it's if something starts eating it, it won't know until it's way too late. It's just not an effective size to be life if you're competing against the the speed of light for you to communicate signals across your body. If it has regionally controlled centers, <laughs> brain centers, right. then is it one organism? Snap! There you go. Oh. I question whether it is in fact one organism. Luke, there's your answer. Okay. All right. Next. Cody in Iowa
1: wants to know, in an extremely unlikely scenario, if you were to be touching or right next to a micro black hole at the moment of its formation, what would happen?
2: Bad for you. Good for the black hole. (laughs) 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 Yeah, if any part of you starts to enter the black hole, if the black hole just eat whatever part of you it touches. That That's all she... Eventually, you are gone. You're gone. And the black hole burps. No, it doesn't even burp. Yeah,
0: <laughs> just, <laughs>
2: yeah black hole one, human zero. There you go. Next. All right, Cody, you are delicious to black holes. <laughs>
1: all right, this is from Matt Holesley. The sun. How loud would the sun be from the earth if there was a way to transmit... The sound through space.
2: I don't know what
1: the hell that means.
2: (laughs) Okay. That's why I couldn't read the question. Okay, so if you ever heard a a pot of water boiling on the stove? Yes, I have. Okay, that's water, and it says, okay, the sun is boiling as well. Okay. It's roiling, boiling, convecting. Convection is the scientific word for boiling. Right. The sun is boiling like it's nobody's business Mm -hmm. on its surface. It would be the loudest, Boiling pot of water you ever heard? If somehow you can comm- you can you can deliver that sound through the vacuum of space to us, gotcha. and that'd be kind of cool to listen to what the sun was doing. It would sound like bo- boiling oatmeal. Boiling oatmeal, but really, really loud. <laughs> <laughs> Answer.
1: Thank God we can't hear that. <laughs> right, real quick, ten seconds. Okay, right, we go. got ten seconds, what? and. Oh my God, here it is. If there were a civilization that lived only on the far side of the moon, how hard
2: would it be for it to detect the existence of the Earth? Oh, uh, they would uh, they would never see Earth because Earth is never in their sky. But they would know somebody was up to something because we've sent spacecraft in orbit around the moon. <laughs> and- <laughs> And the most famous photo ever, Earthrise, was a spaceship coming around the backside of the moon. They would have said, uh oh, we are not alone they- in the universe. Sweet. So would the far side moon dwellers say. You've been listening to Star Talk, Cosmic Queries. Chuck, thanks for being on. Always a pleasure. Uh, we brought to you in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysics, as always, beating you to keep looking up. <laughs> <laughs>